Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up and welcome to another episode of the Grindline Podcast. You're listening to episode 162. I am your host, Greg. I am here tonight with Ryan and Tyler. Hey. And 162. That's how many baseball games won't be played this season. Yeah, fucking Rob Manfred. Oh, my God. But I tweet, he must have went to the Gary Bettman School of Sucking Ass at your job. That's such a joke. Baseball's coming back. People need to stop with this shit. Did you see this morning, Tyler? I'm they not they're okay with taking. They're okay with taking. They're a not off. okay. That, that's a whole... Do people have people ever seen a negotiation? It's like every time this comes around, it's like you've seen how Bob Manfred scandaled his tenure. The players don't want to do this, the owners don't want to do that. This is all PR, it's all it's all threatening. Tyler, we've seen negotiations. We've seen negotiations. What the MOB is doing is refusing to negotiate. That's what it is. They're putting out little pissy players are being ridiculous too. I think I don't think think they're both kind of ridiculous, to be honest. Players want more money. It's pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, the players want more money, but they also say they want less tanking. So, okay, so they want to they want to make the luxury tax higher, and they want to make the penalties for going over that luxury tax even less. So the, that that will also just make the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Cardinals, big teams, big market teams like that. Yeah, they're going to spend more which is going to make the A's worse, which is going to make the all those teams down there, the A's, oh, the Rays, the they Orioles. Have, they don't have a cap, do they? No, it's oh, a luxury tax. Cap. Yep. It's just a luxury tax. Right. And the okay. players don't like the fact that it's a tax. Too fucking bad. There should be a salary cap. There should be absolutely a salary that's cap. That's a non-starter for Anyways, the, uh, the players. I've already derailed Anyways. this. Anyways. <laughs> fuck so Rob Manfred. Yeah, fuck Rob Manfred. Fuck Gary Bettman, just for good measure. That's a, that too. Weasel. We have a show tonight, and I mean, it's not nothing ha- happy happened in Red Wings land this past week. Well, things have happened. It's just not good things. Yeah, we start off with a loss to the Avalanche. I mean, I'll, I'll take a 5-2 loss, but then some kind of hockey magic happened, which this is literally the game that apparently broke Steve Dangle. He is completely I have broken. not watched his recap. Yeah. Was he watching it live? Uh, he live streamed it. He, yep, he did. And uh, the reactions were hilarious. And I've heard that. I just hadn't seen it. For those living under a rock, there were 17 goals scored in the Leafs Red Wings game. At one point, the Leafs were up seven to two going, going into in the third to the third period <laughs> where they brought it. The Red Wings brought it within one goal twice. Uh, but the Leafs end up winning 10 to seven. I think the Wings scored four goals in, in a little over five minutes, which was absolutely insane. Lucas Raymond got a couple on the night. I think Mo Sider had three points. Larkin had a couple points. But uh, the other thing it broke was Money Puck. So Money Puck had, uh, runs on expected goals. They have like an expected goals line of, of how many goals are supposed to be scored in a game. And they tweeted out after the game, with 17 goals on a 4.8 expected goals. So the game was supposed to have between four and five goals. The Leafs wings game is by far the worst combined goaltending game since the NHL's event tracking started in 2007. Previous worst game was Jets 9-8 win over the Flyers in 2011 with 8.7 goals over the above expected amount. Um, The game was just a cluster. I mean, bad goaltending on both sides. I would say that... that, um, Campbell was probably the better goaltender, followed by Ned. I can't blame Ned for that first period. No, and and I can't blame Ned for the goal that he thought he was interfered on because he was Mm -hmm. interfered, but it was by Gustav Lindstrom. He's the one that did the interfering. Did you guys see the interference, the the non-goalie interference call in that Pittsburgh game against Columbus last night? No. No. 
Oh my. But surprisingly, the refs got it wrong. God. Go back and look at that at some point in time. So basically, the puck got shot on net. Crosby got the rebound. And while Crosby was like reaching around the goalie, he like put his shoulder into the goalie and put the puck in the net. As the game winning goal, they reviewed it and they called it a goal. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Crosby gets what he wants. Russell Cry, don't worry about it. But I would say Campbell was probably the better goalie until he got pulled because he let in like four bad goals, like really quick. And then Mrazek comes in and he lets in a goal on the first shot. He lets in a couple more. It was all downhill from there. Now, like you said, Ryan, I can't blame Ned for the first period, really. Any of any of the goals that he allowed in that period, I do not give him any help for. He had zero chance. So and, and it comes back to the problem of Toronto. That game was minus a couple goals was goaltending. The -hmm. problem for the Red Wings that game was Grice and the defense. I mean, you have Cider again. Cider plays Cider's game. He's the best defense. And I mean, we could talk about a little bit too because there was a debate. Is Cider already a top 10 defenseman in the league? And I think he is. I think there's a few defensemen named that that you could have the argument that he could beat them out. But besides that, I mean, again, the corpse of Danny DeKaiser, you've got Mark Stahl skating around with his head up his ass. You've got Gustav Lindstrom pushing your goalie's pad out of the way and, and letting up a goal. It was just a bad defensive effort all around. Seven goals, though, by the offense. And I looked at the shot chart. They were all nothing. I mean, mm-hmm. Raymond had a couple nice ones. The rest of them, all absolutely nothing goals from fucking the most random places on the ice. That- Literally two from below the left circle and like to the left of the left circle. And it to me makes no sense how either of those went in. That might have been the worst defended game I've seen in my life. I said it was like watching a, a QMJ game where there's no defense and the goalies <laughs> are bad. <laughs> and it's just all goals. No, that's that's definitely a good way to put it. I mean, there was no defense in that game. The goaltending was horrific, I thought, too, on both sides. Um, you know, yeah. I'm not going to blame Ned for getting pulled there. But, I mean, it's just it was just one of those nights where everything was going in the net no matter what. It's like, you know, in any other sport where, like, basketball, where, you know, people are just taking threes and they're all going in. Yeah. Um, what was it? Ned let in three on 13 and then Grice came in for the second and allowed four on seven. Is that what it was? Dude, you know, what's crazy. I didn't watch that whole game. Well, I, I watched some of it, but for the most part, I was just kind of looking at the NHL alerts and like <laughs> me and my buddy Ryan, we all we went out or whatever. And um, I kept getting the alerts. I'm like, dude, it's like it's seven to three. Then all of a sudden it's seven to six. I'm like, what the fuck is happening right now? I'm sorry. He, I think I think at one point it was he had allowed four goals on seven shots, but he ended up going ten for fourteen. Grice did. Yeah. So it, I mean, it was uh, I, all around just either way, not good. A bad night for most people. The other thing uh, Steve Dangle brought up is William Nylander had an amazing goal, just an awesome in stride slap shot that was beautiful. He said he then left the ice to go to the bathroom. So uh, there's been this thing going around, apparently. The team uh, as a whole has a case of the poops. Oh. And uh, that may be why uh, they were not so great because guys had to leave the bench at random times to go poo. And that, uh, I mean, I, that doesn't really excuse the score, but no. it doesn't help you. I mean, if it's that bad, it's, I guess then who knows? But whew. either way, we still got a six spot put on us by Mitch Marner. And then, Apparently, the God's gift to the earth, according to Toronto, Bunting had five points. He's on the second line, isn't he? No, he's top no, line. he's on the top line with them. We, you and me and Ryan could be on the top line with Matthews, and we would produce. He had 13 points in 21 games for Arizona last year. Did you guys know that Toronto's helmet sponsor is TikTok? Yeah. Yes. Which makes me hate them even more. Uh, so we want to go through the stat line for this game. The Red Wings did not control play. Uh, there was a course, a team Corsi 4 of 42.3 and a team Fenwick 4 of 47. Not good, Bob. Nope. If you go by mm. players, the the player for Detroit that drove possession the most, and I'll just give you guys a, a guess. Who do you think drove possession the most for the Red Wings? Mm. And you won't be surprised when I give you the answer. Lucas Raymond? Nope. Okay, Nope. Philip Zadina. 
Hey, there we go. 63.6 Corsi four on the night uh, with 63% of his starts in the offensive zone. Next on the list was Philip Pronick with a Corsi four of 60. This is in all situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lucas Raymond came in third at 57.6. Mark Stahl came in fourth at 54.8. Mark Stahl, <laughs> and I think Prashanth brought it up earlier, has been an offensive like masterpiece as far as charts go this season. Like, Why, he's all his- going to get something good in return this season, man. If he wants to go somewhere. And I don't think yeah. he would. I think he'd want a, a cup run chance. Absolutely. I could see, send him to Boston, send him to... Mm-hmm. No, we're not helping them out. If you can get a pick, why not? We're not catching them. Yeah. We're still not helping them out. Fuck that team. I Listen, as a, as a sports fan, I agree. Fuck that team. But as a person who wants picks, you trade them to whoever's giving you the best package. I won't trade them out west. Someone out west will take them. The west is more physical, or at least historically sure. is. Well, who's going to try to make a run? You trade them to L.A.? Trade him to L.A., trade him to Calgary. Calgary, trade him to... Edmonton, maybe? Does Edmonton have any... Doesn't have any money, do they? Yeah, that's the... And he's got... I mean, we could eat contract, but... Bruins will have to do something, too, though, in terms of dropping guys. Yeah. But if you want a guy that creates offense, Mark Stahl's your guy. Get yourself a a defenseman that creates offense. And now the people here in Boston continue to think that David Krejci is just going to fall out of the sky and come back to the Bruins, because that's what... They keep talking about on sports radio. I listen to sports radio most of the day while I'm working. And that's that was the conversation today. And now the only caveat with that would be would Krejci would have to go through waivers. But Krejci could just say, well, if you claim me, I'm not playing. I'm only playing for the Bruins. So apparently he's thinking of coming back to the NHL for the playoffs. So great. Beautiful. This has now apparently become a Bruins podcast. Thanks. I'm just letting you know what people around the water cooler here are talking about. You have a water cooler? extremely uh unsanitary in the age of covid that's um that's a figure of speech my friend <laughs> so if you look at the toronto <laughs> side of it uh mitch marner and austin matthews both had a coursey four of 71.1 i mean geez michael bunting at a 70.3 but again if you're playing with marner and matthews you could put fucking adam ernie on that top line and he'd do the same as michael bunting so i don't remember who said it the other day but it is a fantastic comparison that he is just an advocator 2.0. Oh, really? It's a very good comparison, actually. I forget who said it, but I wish I could find the tweet. Was it Pete, maybe? I don't know. I feel like it might have been Pete. I it could have been. I kind of saw that. Guys, you know who else had points during that game? Carter Rowney. Carter Rowney had a goal. That tip against, was insane. Against the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, everyone was in on the scoring. Philip Ronick had four points. Lucas Raymond had three. Cider had two, Stahl had two, Valeno had two. Valeno's goal was weird. I mean, that was a shot literally from almost the corner, and it went in somehow. There were a couple weird weird goals. I mean, almost every one of the Red Wings goals was a weird goal. Uh, DeKaiser had a point, Ernie had a point, Larkin had a point, Gagne, Rasmussen, and Rowney all had points. Uh, Bertuzzi was probably the worst player that night. Bertuzzi's Corsi was a 31.4, and he was a minus four on the night. So uh, Bertuzzi not making things happen that game. I think they praised him at some point for going to the corners and being rough and puck retrieving, but that was not helping him drive possession, and literally nothing was happening for him. So uh, bad game all around. Yeah, there's no sugarcoating it. I mean, the coaches, that's one of those games that the coaches are just like, oh, my God, what the hell is happening? Um, and then meanwhile, you know, the players are just like, oh, you get a goal. I get a goal. You get a goal. I like a fucking a goal. Oprah Winfrey game. <laughs> fucking pond hockey. <laughs> so bad. And like you would look uh, an average person who like doesn't really watch hockey would look at that score and be like, oh, my God, that game must have been amazing. And we look at that game and just take the score out uh, of it. Like that game was complete shit. I mean, it was a little entertaining, I would say. But <laughs> besides it was, that, it's like, oh, my God. If it was 10 to 7 and like each team's shots on net were like 70, then yes, that is an entertaining game. But the the shots on net were that of a normal hockey game and the score was that a I think that's the most baffling aspect of it. Yeah, like everything was going in. Yeah. I mean, it's good for Detroit to put up 33 shots, but I mean. And I think, and I don't like blaming it on the ice, but didn't the Pistons play that day? Same day. Yes. 
Yeah. Early. I didn't think the ice was that bad. It didn't, I mean, I was hit and miss watching it because my sister-in-law was over. So I had had the game on. I was just like kind of watching it as it was going on when I could, but it didn't seem like it was that bad. Didn't look that bad, I didn't think. My experience on back-to-back games is generally yeah. the hockey game is not that great after basketball has been played the same day because the ice mm-hmm. doesn't get enough time to settle or to cool to the right temperature or to be frozen for long enough, and then you get mushy ice and you get bad bounces. But again, like like you said, I didn't notice people tripping over themselves, falling down, bad puck bounces, anything like that. It I didn't just look noticed. like New York from the last week. Oh, yeah. Boy. Yeah, or the Minnesota game. That was fucking pathetic, that New York no. game. The, no, that was well, that's some of the worst ice I've seen. I mean, Nick was bashing it the entire time since it's been that way for decades. But I think Larkin, they asked him about it. He said it wasn't anything too crazy, like both teams were dealing with it. So it was what it was. But at the same time, it was just like, dude, come on. It's the original ice they had back when Mickey was playing. So probably is. <laughs> never yeah, probably. It. Uh <laughs> So the other piece of uh, news in Red Wings land, which drove people apparently fucking insane, was Ansar Khan. For those of you that are not blocked by Ansar Khan on Twitter, I am not 75% 75 of Red Wings Twitter, I'm pretty sure, is blocked by him. We happen to not be blocked. No one's been blocked. Everyone that's been blocked by him, I mean, I I may not know all of them. I obviously don't. Majority of them are not malicious. It's literally like, hey, why aren't you calling them out on something? Yeah. Mine was, why aren't you questioning why Jonathan Erickson still plays on this team? I think my personal account is blocked by Ansar for the same thing. Like, why ask yeah. why Erickson's still playing? Why is he, just he not you. scratched? He's a fucking coward. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is if you don't want to be blocked by Ansar Khan, don't interact with him. If no. you stay quiet and just, like, lurk his tweets, you won't like get blocked. A, you're a fucking hockey reporter. And if you can't go through Air and quotes, get questions Ryan. or things of that nature, huh? Air quotes, hockey well, yeah. reporter. I use that term loosely with hockey. him. I, I can't writer. remember the last time I read anything on him live. But I mean, you're there to represent the team and thus also part of the, you know, fan base. Like you should be engaging with the fans, providing yep. some of your thoughts and this and that. He doesn't do that. No, he no. really doesn't interact at all with anyone. He no. does not respond to tweets. He does not respond to anything. I don't get how you are like that. No, he's he's one of those old school reporters. Don't bug me. I'm just going to do my thing. And and you know what? This isn't against him. Whatever. He is what he is. He's a reporter. Whatever. But even like the Kevin Allen's out there that have been doing it for just as long. Exactly. He at least engages. He's a beat writer. He doesn't feel the need to have to, to engage with people. Whatever. That's his prerogative. But you don't go fucking blocking a fan base. Yeah, well, he, he can't take criticism. That's the thing. Apparently he can't take not. Criticism. Apparently well, that's not. the worst part. Like, my, my engagement when I got blocked, I wasn't criticizing him. No. I was criticizing well, the team. Here's the thing. The, the Helene St. James, mean? people beat the shit out of her opinions constantly, and I don't think she blocks many people. So. No, and she actually engages. I think she asks, like, like, pretty much everyone on that beat, no offense to anybody on the beat listening to this, but... Not that many people ask the tough questions. She's not afraid to ask the tough questions. She's gotten a hell of a lot better. Sometimes, I mean, yeah. yeah. I my jaw fell on the floor when she suggested buying out Justin Ablocator. So, and then it happened. So. Think, I mean, do you think too? Maybe with that, because I think she's been more engaged since Iserman took over. Do you think a lot of it maybe was with the way Holland ran things? Could be. I mean, I feel like a lot of the beat writers find have the assumption that if they don't tow the company line, they'll get their credentials pulled. They mm-hmm. won't be able to report anymore. Right. Which is kind of what Darren told us. He's like, never, never try to be media. Just yeah, keep don't, doing don't what you're doing. Yeah. Keep doing what you're doing. Do the fan take on it. Report what you guys see and what you feel, because as soon as you go media, you kind of almost need to tow the company line. Can't say anything negative because you get less chances to actually report on stuff, less information, because it's bad for business. Both bad news is bad for business. Look at all of... Well, any Canadian market for that matter. I think that's where you see it the worst. Sure. The moment you start being real now, is it all warranted? Maybe not. But as soon as you start bringing more of that personal opinion and touch into it, that's where shit gets awry, especially when you're having to deal with players directly. And obviously, like Edmonton with Dreisaitl and uh, what's his nuts? Can't think of his name offhand right now, but 
Not Brendan Perlini. No, no, not that. <laughs> but you know what I'm referring to in that in that press conference where they were getting at each other because he's like, oh, you're going to go say what you want to say anyway. So it doesn't yeah. really matter how I put it. The way I look at it is like people nowadays don't want to ask the tough questions. They don't want to hear the tough questions. And, and I, I just I don't get it because at the end of the day, it's like, aren't you trying to get the best product on the ice? And when that doesn't happen, why aren't you asking those questions? To, I mean, it's not that they're going to listen to the report. They're not going to give you the answer you want either. No, that's the other. That's the other thing. But at least in those Canadian markets and stuff like that, they do ask those questions. And most of the time, yeah, they don't get answered. But at least they're being asked. At least they're being asked. And I mean, it's kind of like here in Boston with the Red Sox. They ask the tough questions. They don't always get answered, but they still ask them because the fan base cares. The fan bases in Toronto and Montreal and Edmonton and all those Canadian markets, they care. And so, I mean, I'm not saying that other markets don't, but I mean, they have so many beat reporters on those teams. Well, anyways, back to Ansar. He tweeted out the lines in practice today. So oh, yeah, top that's line, that whole point of the he, conversation. Yeah, and Nemestikov's back on the top with Larkin and Raymond. Your second line is Fabry, Suter, and Bertuzzi. Third line, and this is the, oh, God, people love to just take stuff and run with it. Fury. Rasmussen, Valeno, and Zadina with Verona rotating in. Ernie, Rowney, and then Gagne slash Smith. And your D pairs are Letty, Sider, Stahl, Stetcher, Osterly, Horonic, and DeKaiser, Lindstrom. And if you could only guess what people were super pissed off about was the quote in parentheses, Verona rotating in on the third line which the first comment was, are they seriously dumping Verona on the third line? Like, holy yeah. shit, people. Yes, they are. And for good reason. So one, this is practice. Practice lines are not always game lines. But what do you want? You want Verona to come back, hasn't played a game in months, and you since just May. toss him on the top line? May. Give him 20 He's minutes? Been out since May. Yeah. I mean, the best thing for him would be to Sorry. ease him back into play, right? Like. Let him get his legs under him. Let him get used to a game. Then give him some maybe top line minutes. Mm-hmm. Like we had said before, there is a case for third line Verona. Let's see. So I wanted to find. Yeah. And to go to the third line at, per max, he saw him replacing. And this is what sent people into an uproar was Zadina and Rasmussen during practice. So take that as you will for what the third line was. But if you bring Verona back on your third line, I like the idea of Valino and Raz and Verona, or even bumping Valino down and having not Nemestikov, uh, Rasmussen, Zadina, and Verona. Yep. Whatever way you shake it out, Verona's coming in. If as long if it's one of those guys he replaces, he's making the team better. You go back. I, I posted it earlier today. Like his offensive charts from Evolving Hockey. Granted, he hasn't played again. He hasn't played this season but he dwarfs every single one of those players, whether it's Raz, Bellino, Zadina, Ernie, any of them. And it's not even close. So regard, I know that there's going to be, someone's getting upset and that's just going to be the way it is, but that's also what's going to happen as this team gets better. Yeah. Like when, when we have even more of a roster turnover going into next season, we're going to lose somebody that you probably don't want to lose. So deal with it now, get used to it. Now, that's not to say Zadina is coming out of the lineup. I don't think that's going to be the case, but maybe he gets a break. It's also not to say that Valino gets pushed out or Valino does get pushed out because he's the one guy that can be sent down to Grand Rapids and we don't have yeah. to worry about losing somebody to waivers. That almost seems like the most likely scenario. But again, it's like you said, a practice line. With the way that Zadina played against Toronto, I don't see Zadina really going anywhere. As like I said, he mm-hmm. was the biggest play driver during that game in Toronto for the Red Wings. So it's again, practice lines, like people freak out. They're like Zadina to from first to third line. I thought he was playing really well, really moving Zadina down to the third line after he gets rolling is clicking on the first is such a blasher move. This guy is unbearable. Okay. People need to stop with that narrative though. (laughs) He's not moved. That's what I don't understand. Let's not get them in trouble for something they haven't done yet. Let's not get them in trouble for something they haven't done yet. Because he's practicing on the third line, that means he's going to be on the third line. 
Maybe they're trying to ease him in. He hasn't played since what did you say, May? I mean, come on. Yeah, it's it's really funny to just watch people completely overreact to practice lines. And I mean, again, world burn again of, uh, you get comments Twitter. on here. How many does Ansar respond to? Absolutely zero. He has no follow-up statement, nothing. Just nope. tweets the lines and lets comments fly and says nothing about him. And that's he, why we love Max. He followed up with uh, power play units, Bertuzzi net front, Fabry bumper, Raymond Larkin flank, Cider point, and then power play two, Ernie net front, Suter bumper, Veronica Zadina flanks, Letty point. So did not have, uh, he said then Verona once again rotating in with the second unit, replacing Ernie. Uh, Suter moves to net front, Verona to Zadina's spot, and Zadina to Suter's spot. So that would go ahead and tell you that Zadina's not who he would be replacing. It'd be Ernie. Ernie has been very, 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 very not normal. good. Like, like not even there. I, I mean, I've seen him fly up and down the ice a couple times, try to score a goal, nothing happens. It's just nothing there. So you could wave Adam Ernie. I'm, I'm not sure who's going to pick him up at this point. Or like you said, you could send Valeno down with, with no problem. He doesn't need to pass through waivers to go back to Grand Rapids. And he was playing really well in Grand Rapids. So that might actually help them. I'm just, especially gets uh, Berger and even more ready to come up into Detroit in a couple weeks. Yeah. I just don't know how you lose your shit over someone tweeting practice lines. They did. And is that, and like, is that really and of course, where we're Jake, at? Jake had to go ahead and, Toss his chaos grenade into it. <laughs> so he obviously he he reiterated. I know you, I think you guys are actually tweeting like almost the exact same time. His initial tweet is: I think it needs to be emphasized that practice lines aren't game day lines, and that everyone has got GOT all caps to chill. And then he followed that up immediately with, or shortly after, also in parentheses. And I know this is going to hurt to hear in parentheses. A lot of you are too attached to Z- Zadina. And that, of course, spurred a firestorm with comments. Yeah, I didn't read the comments on that one. Uh, let's see. L plus ratio. Plus, you probably have scurvy. Uh, my thing about Zed is I'm rooting for him, and I want to become an effective two-way player. But in the long run, I think it'd be more beneficial for us to trade him. So it's kind of a mixed bag. And it's, but, it's all, but you trade Zadina to fill another role or need because of the upcoming players that could potentially overtake Zadina. Someone else said, and I know this person from engaging with them today, this Zadina bullshit needs to stop, which this person does not like Zadina. Um, I think the highlight comment here from Tony Wallach also, dot, 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 three scoring lines in this economy. And then there was the boo this man, downvote this comment. It wasn't as actually hectic in Jake's responses or replies that I thought it would be. But I did get some responses saying how well that Zadina has been playing up there. And I can't fight that. He has played well. Oh, he's played well all season. My comparison at times, though, to where he what he has done is Tatar. And that he tries to do that extra little bit, and it bites him in the ass, and he's turning the puck over, and it's going the other way. Now, I will say, since with Raymond and Larkin, it's kind of gone down a little bit. We haven't seen those huge gaffes that we touched on a couple weeks ago where it did lead to an immediate goal against. He's been better in that sense, but I think it also helps that the line mates that he's playing with are more reactive and better to better equipped to kind of get back there and take care of it. But um, I mean, he he's put the puck in the net. He's had some points. Now he's kind of gotten cold a little bit again here. And I think the one criticism, the conversation I was having today is people are still not convinced on his two way game. And, but in the sense, the sense of him playing on the top line, like, do you need him really playing that much defense? Now, Larkin no. with Burt, you can't fight what those two bring. And I think, didn't you mention it last week, or someone did, that Raymond has been talked to about having to get his shit together defensively? I think it was a conversation I was having. I'm getting mixed up. But I, so I, so I, that was what was heard. I don't know. I haven't actually seen that out there. I, I think I totally missed it. But you're also not necessarily, if you have Zadina up there, you're not wanting him necessarily to be playing defensive focus. And we saw that on the goal when Larkin was driving in the middle of the ice. Zadina came off his ass, got a loose puck, scored it, put it right in the back of the net. But as long as he keeps doing what he's doing, is he going to work himself into a good contract? No, he'll probably get a bridge deal. But that's best case scenario 
for where they're at cap wise, salary wise, and roster space wise, because you're going to get him for super fucking cheap. Because I think if you're doing a bridge deal, you're basically just doing two more of his ELC type contract, right? Maybe a little bit more. A mil or so. Yeah. If you're telling me that I'm, we're going to get Zadina at 23, 24 year seasons, and he's going to be signed to minimal to try to get his shit together while the roster is still improving, I think you're in a good spot right there. Because then he can turn into a complimentary depth guy. Maybe he turns into a Nyquist. or That's your best case scenario, I think. You want him to be better because he was a sixth overall pick, but I don't know if that expectation can be maintained much longer. Yeah, I would agree. But but again, if you do sign him that cheap and then he does just absolutely explode, then you've still got him under control when he's up for a contract again. And you've gotten two years of him at possibly really, really high level hockey. So I I can't trade Zadina right now because you don't know what the value is. I don't think there is value right now. There is, but there isn't. Sure. So you'd be trading him from his low point in it. I mean, I think most definitely would bite you in the ass. Okay, let's just say you wanted to go out and get a Chikrin, right, from um, Arizona. Yeah, you can't get him one for one. No, 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 no chance. No chance. No. They'd want Zadina and a first round pick and a defensive prospect. Is yep. what they'd want. Yeah, and that's not worth it because yep. we have Edvinson coming at some point. It's just it doesn't make sense. No, I mean from a prospect standpoint, we already have a pretty crowded blue line. We'll see what goes on there. Tyler, uh, update as of four minutes ago from Evan Drellich. Deal not close, but not impossible. CBT thresholds, pre-arb pool, big issues, among others. MLB has proposed two choices. 14-team expanded postseason, minimum of 700000 and $40 million into pre-arb pool. Or 12-team expanded postseason, 675000 minimum, $20 million into pre-arb pool. They should so. just give them the goddamn 14-team playoff and fuck off. It's it, like I, I don't get the I don't get the animosity against that. I don't understand why more teams in the playoffs equals more teams with a chance to win a World Series, which means more fan bases engaged longer in the season, which means pennant races. I understand I why the players don't important. want it because they don't get paid for the playoffs in the postseason. But I mean, come on. Come on. They're splitting hairs at this point, I think. If they're going to expand playoffs in baseball, they need to shorten the season. You could do that. 144. Mm-hmm. They're never going to do that. But. No. But, it, I mean, it also depends on how long you expect those. Like, you got 14 teams. You've got, what, two rounds already or seven rounds. And then the first is is it best of five. Yeah, you're going to have to start the season earlier. Unless you're shortening up the playoffs can't start the season earlier in Detroit. It already starts too early. Yeah, that's yeah Detroit already starts. 31st in Detroit is insanity. Remember yeah. last year opening day, Miggy hit that home run? Um, in the snow. In the snow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. fucking people froze into their goddamn seats. <laughs> and that that was like before full capacity. So like, I remember seeing the highlights of that the other day. I'm like, why, why is it so empty? I'm like, oh, that's right. Uh, one, it's cold and two, COVID. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, before we get to the last subject of the night, I want to take a second to read a message from DraftKings. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your area, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, bet just $1 on any NBA team, and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 or older, minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void or prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN Redline 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y 467-369. All right. So the last thing I want to talk about tonight is John Scott, you know, NHL all-star legend John Scott tweeted out earlier today, uh, quoted a tweet from Drop the Gloves that says, agree or disagree, 
and the photo says Mo Sider is already a top 10 defenseman in the league. Uh, he said it. He said, I think he's already there. I quote tweeted it and I said, agree. I think there can be a case made for Mo Sider as one of the top 10 defensemen in the NHL. And I think the players right now, because he's not, I mean, he's not up there right now with a, I mean, he's, I think he's better defensively than Kale McCarr, but he's not on the same offensive level as Kale McCarr. Uh, he's, he's not your Victor Hedman yet. I think he could aspire to be a Victor Hedman. I think he could aspire to be better than a Victor Hedman. But I think the players he's probably closest to, and there were four that I had kind of pointed out, Dougie Hamilton. I think most Sider's better than Dougie Hamilton. And a lot of people were putting him in the top 10 defensemen in the league, Dougie Hamilton. I think he's better than Quinn Hughes. Mo Sider is definitely better defensively than defensively for sure. Uh, Uh, I had him up there with Miro Heiskanen and the longer shot was Charlie McAvoy. Uh, Charlie McAvoy is good in both ends of the ice. His power play numbers are atrocious, but Mo Sider ranks up there in the top. Now, the other thing I went with is Mo Sider is also dragging around the corpse of DeKaiser, which we have mentioned several times. And those other guys have... decent to good defensive partners. So I think there is a, a very valid argument that could be made for Mo Sider as one of the top 10 defensemen in the league currently. Is he top 15? Definitely. If he's top 10, he's top 15, Tyler. Well, okay, but a lot of people will argue that he's not top 10. So is he at least top 15, top 20? Absolutely. I mean, you could say I'm Roman Yossi. Roman Yossi was another one that would be above Mo Sider currently. Yeah. But again, so who, is, who would be above him then? Yossi. So the top 10 right now in fantasy are Makar, Hedman, Ekblad, Yossi, Fox, Latang, Carlson, uh, Devon Taves, Morgan Riley, Mackenzie Weger. Uh, uh, wait, John Carlson or Eric Carlson? John Carlson. John. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say Eric Carlson. I mean, Latang is sixth in scoring in, in defenseman right now. How are his defensive numbers, though? Well, let me look up know. Latang's card on Jay Fresh. I'm just, I just pulled up Quant Hockey and have it sorted by points for defensemen. No, Chris Latang's EV defense is 10%, Ryan. <laughs> uh, his projected war right now is a 79. So mm. I went back through projected war for the guys that I had mentioned. Most ciders at a 97. Uh, Dougie Hamilton is at a 90. Miro Heiskanen's at a 98. Charlie McAvoy's at a 98. So I think an argument could be made. I, I mean, Aaron Ekblad is right now, his player card is lower than most ciders. Uh, I didn't look up Roman Yossi, but I think Yossi, you could rank above him. Adam Fox, you could rank above him. Hedman, McCarr, Carlson. Morgan Riley. I mean, Morgan Taylor. Riley, again, I could probably argue the Morgan Riley thing. I think Margaret Morgan Riley is very underrated. Underrated on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, I think he's a pretty mm-hmm. underrated defenseman. He's probably a top 10 defenseman in the league. Morgan Riley's war right now is a 32. Obviously, we're trying to look at this holistically, but it's hard. Everyone else has a three-year weighted average to where most Cider only has one year in the league. That's a like I said, Cider has a smaller sample size for what he's done, but I th- I still think. Right now, with what he has shown, he's tied for 11th in scoring. He shines in his defensive game. Offense is secondary. Mm-hmm. So, for being 11th in scoring and in offense is your secondary and your defense, you're just fucking laying guys out. You have really no flaws in your defensive game. You're doing things that make people say, wow, almost every night. Whether it's your small little stutter step, it's your spin arounds, it's your deflection off a pad so that Zadina can just rush up and score that shot the uh the diving across uh, a blue line to stop a, a cross-eyes pass that what he did late in the game against Toronto it's the stuff he does like that that is just it's quantifiable certainly in in defensive stats but I think that is kind of what pushes him over the edge of guys like Amiro Heiskanen mm. Or definitely Dougie Hamilton. Dougie Hamilton's a fucking shit bag. Uh, but that's besides the point. Dougie Hamilton blows defensively. So I think that that you could, I think there's an absolute solid argument for Mo Sider as a top 10 defenseman currently. I think that's a strong argument, I would say. 
Right. And then point. again, pulling behind Danny DeKaiser or pulling behind Nick Letty, who was imagine, brought in basically to help him. Imagine if he was playing with Mark Stahl. Sure. But I mean, imagine if you put him in in Colorado. Yeah. Imagine if you drop Mo Sider in Colorado right now. Oh my God. Does Colorado win the cup easily yes. with one Mo Sider? Yep. It's kind of funny. So we were talking about this, me and one of my friends the other night. And he's like, the wings are close, but they're not there quite yet. What would make them a playoff team if you could do anything in the NHL? Besides like a, a acquiring like a McDavid, what, what, like what two or three moves would it need for the wings to be a playoff team? Without giving anything up? Without giving anything up. Yeah. Just what, what would it take? Like what position? Um, and two what, defensemen like, and a center. Yep. Like a second line center. Mm-hmm. They, they still need an elite scoring winger. But you're getting Verona back. He's not back yet, though. So if Verona comes back at 100%, you need a center and two defensemen. Yeah. That's it. Ideally, hopefully, which they could make, they, they could easily do that in this offseason. I mean, there's, a, there's certainly not a shortage of free agents out there. There's probably not going to be a shortage of trade possibilities just because of, uh, you know, the, the, um, the salary cap not going up. So some teams are going to be hell bent. So I think the draft will be something to watch this year for trades. Yeah. I think it'll be a a heavier, there'll be heavier activity around the draft than even at trade deadline. Or you think there'll be more during trade deadline? Well, I think like we touched on, I think the deadline could be kind of like last year where we see a lot of the brokerage deals going on. But when it comes to the draft, I mean, teams are obviously they're in off season mode, trying to dump contracts without buying out too much. And, having to worry about paying guys for the next several years. So there could be some leveling of the playing field, if you will, in terms of certain guys traded, but it'll be draft day trades rather than anything else. So you're going to see exactly where everybody's at. I don't know. I think I I could see it being more interesting in that sense this season. Well, the other way I could see it too, is that this is a pretty deep draft. I mean, even through the first Mm -hmm. full two rounds, it's a deep draft. So you may have guys trying to move people off to move up for because people's boards are generally pretty nuts, but this year they might be even more so. So if there's guys like left towards the third round that you really want or guys you see in the third, you identify in the third that you think should be a second round pick or, or a late first round pick because just because of how crazy this draft is and we'll have to get Tony back on to talk about it mm-hmm. uh, up here soon. But I think that's where you're going to probably see more movement in that respect simply because of, of how deep the draft is this season. Yeah, I mean, I, the way I look at it is like if the, if the salary cap's not going up, which, which we pretty much know is, is a given at this point. I think this year is guaranteed. Yeah, um, especially with you know the, the can- Canadian teams not, not being allowed to have people in their buildings for, for the – what was it, a month and a half or so? Um, that's definitely a given. So that's going to spark some movement anyways because you have, is it six or seven teams close to the cap? Um, and some even over? More, more. Is it more? The number goes up, yes. Yeah, so there's a ton of teams close to the cap. That's gonna that's automatically going to spark some movement. There's definitely teams on the come, like Detroit's on the come, Ottawa's on the come. Um, Wait, well, I'll go back. On the whole, on the come? On the, on the up and come. Come on now. Up and coming. Maybe okay. on the cusp. You on want to cusp, go with that one? On their way. Can on we say on their way? On the come. On the come. Okay. Oh, bless you, Tyler. But, but you know what I mean. There's there's definitely a lot of teams that are going to be looking to make some moves, and um, I think this um, deadline. Tyler, to answer your question, there are 14 teams that are under a hundred thousand dollars to the cap. That's as of right now, though, right? As of Correct. right now, yeah. Yeah, there's there's definitely going to be some movement. I yeah, would say I'll, I'll be intrigued. Be... Need to start looking at what they're going to have for next season's outlook. I don't think that they don't have that on Cap Friendly's page anymore, do they? You mean like fast the fast forward a year? Yeah, they just have current projected. I wish they would put on there like next season's current hit would be like without making any updates. But they usually don't update until after the season's over. Or until at least playoffs, because that's what we really need to start looking at is uh, 
because that will again play to my point about what's going to happen at the draft. And yeah. Who's actually going to be strapped at that moment? We, I mean, obviously, we know Detroit, Buffalo, the teams at the bottom right now are pretty much not going to be budging from there. Uh, Columbus will jump up because I think they've got a couple contracts kicking in. No, I take that back. Just Wierwinski, and he's an extra four mil. Elvis is getting a couple, uh, getting a mil more. So they don't really have, okay, I take that back. They don't really have too much going on that's crazy in terms of their cab jumping. So they'll be in a good spot still. But yeah, it, that'll be maybe, maybe next week if I get around to it, we can take a look at the cap space as we're moving forward for teams, what they're looking like starting at next year without any actual additions or subtractions at this point. For sure. And until then, we have the Hurricanes tomorrow at 7.30, followed by the Lightning on Friday at 7 and the Panthers on Saturday at no, 6. Mean the upcoming pain of the wing schedule? Yeah. It, apparently, Ugh. we're fourth now. Fourth hardest strength of schedule. Oh, it went down? Cool. I, I know I said, what was it, last week or something, that we had a chance at the playoffs. Well, that that ship has certainly sailed. Um, so, I mean, if, if you get to the trade deadline and there are some deals to be made, I would make them. Um, I'm not saying I would, you know, part ways. Don't sell the farm. Yeah. Don't sell the farm. But, um, you know, if Mark Stahl comes available, certainly I would listen, uh, Nemesnikov, unless you can extend them, that's probably another option. Um, there's, I'm sure there's others as well. I would even listen on Bertuzzi. Call me crazy. I'd listen. Someone wants him. If someone wants him and they they think that he's a good fit for them going forward, I I mean, I wouldn't give him away. But if Philip Ronick's another one, I would listen on both of those. I would listen on almost anybody except for Larkin, Cider, Raymond, Ned, Ned, maybe. Yeah, I mean the rest you got to kind of take the. You take a call on anyone, but for those four, it's impossible to trade them because no one is ever going to give you close to what you want for them. Yeah. So, and you, it sets you so far back if you were to make, make a move on one of those guys. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's kind of the obvious statement to me. Yeah. Um, but I kind of want to get you guys' final thought. It's a little shorter show tonight uh, before we sign off. And then in a couple of weeks, we're going to try and get Daniela on to talk uh, pre-trade deadline stuff and her outlook going forward, too. So we're going to have some guests coming up here. And we're going to start with Ryan. I really don't have much to say. I mean, <laughs> they got the shit stomped by two of the top teams in hockey this past week. Um, I mean, I'm proud of the fact that when it was seven to two against Toronto going into third, I was like, I'm done. Turn on the Xbox. And then in that short time of getting the Xbox up and going, it was seven to five. So I'm playing Holden ring. I haven't started that yet. Oh, do you have it? I do. I it heard it's so I, good. I've watched some videos and it's impressive. It took me two hours to beat a mini boss and I loved every second of it. I've heard, but um, anyways, but no, I mean, it's what I appreciate. And I think it's something that we've talked about and seen from this team all season is they just really aren't giving up. Now we've had some bad games. Yes. But for them to do that and put up a seven spot on Toronto is for one eye opening, but two, it's exciting. And again, talking on the fact that this team's exciting to watch, even though it doesn't always seem that way. But what's most impressive about a 10-7 loss at home was watching that crowd react to the game mm-hmm. and how loud it got in there when they made it a one-goal game. I know Mario, he said he was at the game, and it was one of the best atmospheres he's been a part of so far this season. And it's always a great time when Toronto's in town because it's usually a 60-40 split. Montreal uh, too. in terms of Toronto fans and Detroit fans. So it's, it's always fantastic. It's always fun. So having a game like that makes it even better. But the biggest thing out of that is now we just need to turn that shit around. So we're on the winning side because I don't think we've won a game score more than six, when six goals or more have been scored yet. If I'm remembering correctly. So it's flipping that aspect and narrative because this, they're going to put goals up. They need to play defense and hopefully defense, more defensive help is on the way in this off season. And that's what we can keep our focus and attention toward as this season comes to a close, because it's going to get interesting, but it's going to get fun. It still is fun. And that's really all we can ask for. So on that note, already ran 33. I mean, I guess my final thoughts are, um, 
you know, this team has been interesting and fun to watch all year long. Um, it's probably going to get worse at this point. I know I was one of the rah-rah people saying that there's a chance at the playoffs. Well, that was only if they took advantage of Boston without their two and two best players and they weren't playing very good. So, um, but they they've since turned it around and we're what 14 points out now. So that ship has certainly sailed. Um, but that doesn't mean the team's not going to continue to be fun to watch. They're going to continue to compete uh, each and every night the way they have all year, pretty much, you know, with the exception of a couple games that we do not mention on this podcast. Um, and then, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, they just continue, they get better and their younger players are getting better. That's all, that's all you can really ask for. Um, and hopefully over the next couple weeks here, you know, there's a trade or two to get a young guy or two, a look at a young guy or two up here and, uh, you know, look towards uh, the draft and uh, free agency and everything like that. So, I mean, there's a lot to look forward to. Uh, we've all talked about the date of, of looking at as next season um, and the playoffs could be, you know, not a foregone conclusion, but certainly a, a more possibility than there has been probably since 2013, 14, somewhere around there, 15. Um, so anyways, those are my final thoughts and you can follow me on Twitter at Sealdog91. You can follow me online at Bringing the Wing. You can follow the Grindline Podcast online at Grindline Pod. Check out our merch on Redbubble. If you go to redbubble.com and search the Grindline, all our stuff is there. We also gave a shout out to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet for hosting us and spreading our podcast around to a bunch more listeners that may have not found us organically. Uh, we also like to give a shout out to Howie's Hockey Tape, where he's a promo code Grindline. You get 10% off your order. And to bring hockey back, where if you use the promo, same promo code, you get 12% off your order. We also like to thank Vintage Detroit for being so awesome. So if you're planning to get a Detroit jersey or get one worked on, uh, we only recommend them. They are the best in the area. You literally will not find better. Uh, but that's going to do it for us tonight. So for Ryan and Tyler, I am Greg. You stay classy, Hockey Town.